Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to to explore the, the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, talk about big industry events that are happening around the world, and to talk to the authors and the creators who make these games. Now, I've been on a bit of a run recently where I've been talking to a lot of game creators and authors, and I've got to say, um, as exciting as talking to all those folks have been, and it has been very exciting, I've really loved talking uh, to all those guys, I'm really excited about our guests today. Um, now, a lot of the guests that I've had on recently um, have been for authors of games that I have not been able to play, often because of COVID restrictions and shutdown. Uh, for those not aware, Melbourne, Australia, which is where this podcast is located, um, we we are one of the most locked down places on the planet at the moment. Um, and I'm okay with that as a primary school teacher. I'm totally fine with waiting it out if we can lower our numbers and make things safe. But it means that I'm not getting a lot of games in. Now, the, the author of the game that we have on today is a game that I've played. And it's a game I've played a lot. In fact, it's one of my favorites in, the, in recent years. And it is, it is truly something special. Um, so many of the people uh, who come on to talk about their games, we end up talking about the narrative. We end up talking about the IP, as it would be, the, um, the universe, the world. But what if we had a game that almost by definition didn't have one, that was so creative and so adaptive that you could reach out and touch almost anything, but it does have a very specific very clever, uh, I guess it does have its own uh, intellectual property universe. It's, it's one of the more original game ideas I've ever heard of. The game is called 7TV, and in it you can take any concept, you can take any characters, and you can play out an episode of a television show. So, for example, uh, if you loved your Saturday morning cartoons, you could have your favorite uh, Saturday morning cartoon. As, as a kid, I loved G.I. Joe. I could have G.I. Joe versus, and then you could have almost anything. You could have, uh, just to go with the 80s theme and just spitballing off, go off the cuff. What about the, the bad ghosts from Ghostbusters? You could have G.I. Joe versus the gang from Scooby-Doo. There are so many different ways you can go for this. James Bond, uh, your classic Indiana Jones-esque uh, hero-slash-villain pulp situation, Mad Max. There are so many different ways you can go with this idea where you get to play out an episode or an episode of a television show or a movie. And in doing so, you can play literally almost anything. Today on Cast Dice, we are going to talk to the man who made this possible and who puts this game out. Of course, I'm talking about Carl from Crooked Dice. Carl, welcome to Cast Dice. I'm so excited to have you on today, man. Welcome. Thank you. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. 
Oh, man. I, as a communication major in college, I literally studied radio, television, and movies ad nauseum. And wargaming has always been a passion of mine. And so when somebody told me about the concept behind 7TV, I literally asked, are you serious? Clearly, that can't be a real thing. And yet, I looked at it, and my God, is it clever. Where did the idea for this come from? Because... It is so inclusive, and I don't want to call it a sandbox game per se, because that that has sort of open world connotations. But it is literally you can take your toys out of the toy box, any toy, and play with it, but not but in a like in a narratively that makes sense kind of way. It's it's so original. How did you come up with this? Um, I uh, we probably would have been good gaming buddies uh, when you were in college. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean my group of friends used to sit around my gaming group and we talk about the films that we liked and the TV that we liked. And we all watched very similar kind of things mm -hmm. um, as well. And it's that old cliche of kind of, you know, write what you know and write what you love. Um, my, I ran seven TV actually as an RPG uh, back when my friends were, we had a, a, a group that got together on Monday nights mm -hmm. uh, and I ran it as an RPG for them. And it was ex really the same conceit really that you were all playing in a TV show, um, and we created characters which aren't a million miles away from what ended up in the in the box uh, about fifteen years later. So this was in the in the nineties, um, and yeah, we had a, a mad detective and a flamboyant kind of uh, playboy, and we worked through um, different kind of genre um, settings. So I'd had the idea for for a long while, um, but uh, the idea really came to fruition and, and turned into the box set when um, Cookie Dice was originally me and uh, a guy called Graham Dawson, mm -hmm. who wrote uh, a fan-based skirmish uh, for, for Doctor Who, mm -hmm. uh, which was a product. Um, and we investigated whether we could turn that into a commercial product, and we approached the BBC, and it was great, um, and they were very fair, but it was probably a little bit too rich for just two guys kind of working out of their uh, yeah. back room, really, for us to afford. Um, so I kind of pitched the idea, well, rather than just playing, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a time traveler in a science fiction, what if we kind of opened it up and you could play in any of the different TV genres mm -hmm. um, and kind of pitched him this idea that I played from a game kind of 20 years ago, which was called 7TV. Um, and it just it kind of worked and 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 kind of fitted together fairly well uh, with his kind of skirmish system and with my kind of narrative light game um, over the top. Um, but yeah, I think a sandbox is a, is a, is a fair way to describe it. I kind of describe the system a little bit as Lego. Um, yes. You can kind of, you can, you can bolt things uh, apart and rebuild them in a, in another shape. And that's the, that's the joy of doing the other kind of sets that we've done as well. You realize you can, um, you can kind of expand and build on what you've got really, really easily just with the basic mechanics and the basic building blocks of the game. Well, let's talk about the game as it stands today, because it, I know that if you go to Crooked Dice and you go to look at your website and you click just the rules, um, you'll get three separate box sets. Now, we are in second, uh, 7TV's second edition, and as part of that, there are three separate boxes. I own all three. I've played all three. Um, one is SpyFi, which is sort of circa 1960s uh, spies, uh, you know, British crime, British television. Um, it's, it, it's very 
kitsch and very cool. My wife quite likes the uh, the look of that box. Um, then we also have Apocalypse, and it's sort of all of those tropes of like giant robots or killer robots or you know fungus people taking over uh, mutants, um, the end of days, uh, you know wild people on automobiles racing around the outback um, slash all of that fantastic you know, demons, angels, all those tropes in one box. And then we have my personal favorite, which again, all three are great, uh, which is pulp, which allows you to play out uh, all of those pulp adventures. You can have, uh, you know, the or the archaeologist uh, teamed up with the the great detective, um, with the the damsel in distress, and the little kid sidekick, or you know, the the kung fu black wearing driver sidekick. Like, there's all kinds of different tropes you can just draw in versus, you know, cultists or. Um, you know, stormtroopers of fascist powers. And there are all of these things that you throw together. Given that you have those three very distinct boxes, um, how do you recommend that people get started in 7TV? Because all three are the same rules, right? They're all second edition. That's right. It's all the same kind of core mechanics running through it. But mm. as we've as we've built the boxes, uh, we've tried to add something a little bit different. So from a starting point, download, there's a there's a free PDF, um, which is just a black and white um, print friendly uh, one that you can download, which gives you those basic mechanics. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's really the kind of genre that you want to play in. You know, if you want to play um, action adventure serials or, um, you know, spy busting stuff in there, 7 TV is great. Oh, you've described them a lot better than uh, than I will, but um, Apocalypse has got something different, so it's got um, some extra mutations a bit, but the main part of it is the um, kind of full contact vehicle, uh, vehicle combat yeah. rules. So you can do that in 28 mil um, uh, and you can build your own vehicle and then pimp your ride out with, you know, harpoon weapons and uh, and super wide wheels and, and mine droppers and all of that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, uh, and then Pulp, uh, again, which has been a, a you know, I, I grew up, uh, I, I was born in the 70s, but when S Star Wars was really launching, I don't know about uh, in the in the States, um, but we had Fox Gordon uh, and we had all of those serials mm -hmm. on uh, our, you know, one of our stations at five o'clock at night. And I completely in love with all the, the cliffhanger serials. Um, yeah. So if you like that or Indiana Jones uh, or any of those kind of uh, settings, Pulp's great for you. And that introduces um, some more tone and narrative stuff to the game. Uh, so you can got, you've got perils in there, which you can just bolt into the basic um, games that you play just to add a little bit more tone. So you can add in the boulder run or the, uh, you know, the, the lava pools or the, 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 runaway, uh, the runaway truck and stuff like that in there. Uh, just again, just get a little bit more narrative um, into it. So it really depends on the, uh, on the type of setting that you enjoy playing but there's nothing to stop you really playing indiana jones versus james bond if, if you really want to you awesome. know they everything balanced and will stack and there's a there's a couple of tweaks and differences between each one but nothing that um nothing that would kind of upset the balance of, of play exactly i'm literally looking at uh, a stack of movies that are just sitting on the shelf in my office 
And Seven TV literally works for every single one of them. From the Val Kilmer movie, Top Secret, to Smokey and the Bandit, to Six String Samurai, to, I mean, I'm just, there are so many movies that automatically just slot right into this. And that doesn't even get into just the idea of a television show and the episodes within. Um, I mean, you could even play out, I'm looking at Jaws. Uh, I mean, any of these things work. It's such an inclusive system. Uh, and it's so it's, cleverly it, done. It's the pitch that I always give to people. You know, if there's a, a TV show or uh, or a movie that you really want to play on the tabletop, uh, but you haven't got the rules for, Seven TV will allow you to to do that. Um, it's generic archetypes in there. Mm-hmm. So you've got a flamboyant agent uh, as one of the uh, of one of the profile cards. Well, that could be James Bond, mm-hmm. or it could be Jason Bourne, or it could be Austin Powers, or anything in between depending on the tone of game that you enjoy playing so if you want a kind of a tongue-in-cheek one then you know you can go with austin powers or you can move a little bit along maybe into i don't know roger moore uh kind of spy <laughs> yeah uh, in there or you could go slightly harder edge with some of the kind of modern reinterpretations of that if, if you wanted to um it will lend itself um when we were first kind of setting up when graham first wrote the kind of first edition um kind of skirmish rules he was really he did that because he couldn't find a set of pulp rules um that he enjoyed that was quite working for him mm-hmm. um so ironically he kind of came back around to pulp again uh, about 10 years later um but it's that pulp kind of sentiment is born out of the the kind of the cliffhanger serials which then bleed into serialized episodic tv that we've had you know ever since really from the from the 50s and 60s onwards so it's even in that first set there's a lot of scope to play genres from you know really from the 50s through to to modern day if you want to exactly Um, well I, i think one of the other things that we should mention that is a slight difference is how tropes sort of match the themes of the boxes um i'm holding a stack of character cards from the pulp box and I literally, I didn't shuffle them. I just pulled them right out of the box and I've put them in my hand and just going off the top, uh, Renegade Royal, uh, the Heartless Warmanger, uh, Warmonger, the Alien Grenadier, the Dialo- Diabolical Fiend, I can't read for some reason today, um, Shock Trooper Commander, the Scientist, the Alien Tyrant, uh, the Twisted Sycophant, the Alien War Priest, there are the brain. There are just so many, and I'm holding a giant stack of cards, and this is one of many. And each one of these cards allows you to uh, p- put a model on the table or a group of models um, that fit that particular uh, trope that you would recognize when you watch television or a movie. Oh, it's this. It's you know, it's the minion. It you know, with the the construction hat wearing. Bond villain minion, which the same card could be used for, you know, the security guard in a villain's secret base, uh, which could be used the same as et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, These cards are wonderfully, the way they are put together is so almost non-specific and specific at the same time that you recognize what to match to each miniature you want to put down, but also you're able to have a wide variety of models that you could assign these profiles and the rules are remarkably apt 
given how wide the, and I know I'm sounding like I'm gushing here, guys, bear with me. I love the way this system works and, that, and how inclusive the character cards are. I think that's one of the things that sold me on the game more than anything else, because immediately every model in my collection became playable. And there are just so many great cards that work for so many different models and they all fit. So uh, you guys must have spent a lot of time, um, given that there are literally hundreds of cards, um, really tweaking these out so that they could be adaptable and usable across all sorts of genres and miniature types. Yeah, that's that's the fun part right at the beginning when you're kind of planning it out. It's the, it's the first stage we do. I literally sit down with a kind of a uh, my, my notebook open and I've got adjectives on one page and kind of roles on the other. And you start to mix and play about um, in there. Um, lucky with a lot of uh, the inch high spyfly stuff that that's kind of ingrained mm-hmm. um, in them. You've got that kind of back uh, back catalog to be able to draw on. But it is it's it's finding the right roles for for the stars and co-stars yeah. um, in there, um, and then and then that kind of grouping of the different things. But yeah, everything is intentionally generic. Um, we, you know, we've got a good range of, of miniatures now, um, but the, it is intended to be miniature agnostic. It is what have you got in your collection where you've, if you're like me, you've picked up that weird pack of something that you thought, oh, I really like, you know, the sculpts or something. I'll have a game for that one day. Um, but you can't really use them. Well, again, 70V allows you really to, to bring it out. And your minion could be, as you say, it could be a James Bond guy or it could be a, you know, a thug in a in a bar or something. You can you can exactly. apply what you like um, to to the miniatures you've got, and the profiles are broad enough. It's, it's as you say that trick of getting them generic enough, but with a a knowing nod that you kind of understand where that type of model can kind of fit um, in a collection. But yeah, that's, it's a lot of fun drawing those together. Um, the pulp set that we did. Um, I worked in collaboration with Edge Hill University mm-hmm. um, on, on that one. Um, and the students, uh, we had a team of about 12, uh, 15 students, and they had to research all, they had no real grounding in pulp at all. So they did a huge research phase for about three months where we made them sit down and watch all of the cliffhanger serials, um, lots of different ones across lots of different genres to kind of get that background knowledge to be able to, to generate those so i'm glad that they are um they're kind of hitting the right notes um because that was a, that was a proper kind of academic research phase that went into that to make sure that we we covered all of the tropes and all of the genres and all of the archetypes yeah it i think they've done and you have done by extension uh, a fantastic job with that as i said i think the character cards are one of the strengths of the game and the game has many um but let's let's talk about because I can hear people in the background, the internet's calling, and I hear some people saying, yeah, b- Brad, but uh, I got this Cobra Commander model that doesn't have the right gun. Like, I, I, it, it, it breaks the immersion for me. Or I really want this character to have that character's special rule. Uh, uh, that, that really doesn't work for me then. Well, that's fine, because you very cleverly gave people the rules to adapt and change the cards to match. This is a narrative, fun, tabletop game to play with a mate. It's not a go-down-your-throat, uh, win-at-all-cost gaming experience. But by the same That's- token, it is the, you can that adaptability allows 
for you possibly to create something that would be possibly unfun, but the way that the game's put together, I don't think would really lend itself to a, a beat your teeth in experience anyway, if that makes sense. It's absolutely, it's absolutely not. It's it's not designed for kind of tournament uh, uh, play in there. It isn't that kind of game. I, I don't want it to be that kind of game. It's a, you know, it's a, if you're like me, you've got a limited amount of time to play in a week and I want to play something that is just kind of fun and I can have a laugh about and there's a kind of a, a shared uh, kind of knowing experience and, and just fun narrative play that you can have um, right. with it. So you've got uh, in each box, there's uh, there's over a hundred, possibly even closer to a couple of hundred different profile cards mm -hmm. in there, which are broad. But as you say, um, if you want a specific ability um, or you want to tweak, uh, tweak a kind of an attack or something, you can do all that with the customization rules. And we've got a, um, there's an app, um, that is also on the uh, on our website, uh, which is a card builder, which allows you to choose from all of the, um, the the kind of free special effects, which is what we call basic abilities, um, and cut and paste those into a, a little card generator, which has got the artwork, and you can put your own attributes in it, and you can drop your own photograph in as well. So if you've got your painted mini that you want, drop that in there. There's your card. And, and play what you play what you like it's it's fun sit down and just have a bit of a laugh with it because that's that's the type of game that it's uh, it's intended to be i love that you included that uh when you guys did the app that that people can put their own art and the pictures of their own models or the pictures of the cartoon character that they desperately wanted from that weird japanese animation series or that samurai drama show that they watched when they grew up in japan in third grade and they were like really enamored with the guy that strangled people with a piano wire um you can do that and you can have that guy's picture on the card and you can print it and you can play seven TV with it. It is the most inclusive game there is, but there is, there is a quick flip side to something you said before, by the way, I was talking about that guy in last week's episode for those who were listening and thought that was a weird poll. Sorry, Carl. Um, the, um, to have a good a fun gaming experience, you need to have a game, though, that is balanced, a game that has that internal balance and allows for a fun, interesting game where any like where you could have the possibility of winning. No one really enjoys having their teeth kicked in at any given point, which is uh, another really important part of a game. And I really enjoy that about 7TV. Every game that I've played um has, there's always been, I've always been in with the chance and there's always, it's very cinematic in how it plays out and how you grab objectives and then how you're trying to maneuver around to achieve what the scenario is asking. Uh, it, it is a very fun game as far as that goes. And you, you know, especially if you're throwing in the MacGuffin, which can, you know, if you have like the Uber objective on the table and you go, Oh geez, I don't know how many victory points this thing's actually worth you know, do you prioritize that or do you prioritize the other objectives? Um, and so there's, there's a lot of, and it just le leads to a lot of, you know, knee slap and laughs when characters or, you know, guys on the table do things and hilarity ensues. Uh, it, it's a great game for that. All of my, you know, my most enjoyable gaming experiences have, have been where, you know, that outrageous thing happens and you talk about that, you know, five years later. Do you remember that time when, mm -hmm. That car exploded and wiped out half of your uh, half of your guys. You know they're they're the kind of things that you do, and we've tried to weave that into the basic mechanics 
So it's got that kind of cinematic sweep to it. I don't know whether you've found this, but every game I've ever played, play just swings backwards and forwards. And you say, exactly. you always think you're the chance. Um, there's a basic mechanic that we've got, which um, basically dictates the length of the game. Depending on the size of table that you've got, mm-hmm. you deal a number of countdown cards um, out for them. They're, the name changes a little bit between the, the sets, so they're cliffhanger in pulp, but they do the same job. Exactly. Um, and they're divided into three acts, and you divide um, uh, an equal number of those cards um, depending on the, on the size of the game that you've got. Uh, and we've themed those, those acts of those cards. So act one is largely about movement. Act two is largely about combat because you've normally engaged by, by that part of, of, of the game. And then the third one is the finale, and that just all hell breaks loose at that point. You've got you've got explosions and mad things happening, um, and each player draws one of them when it's their turn. And when that cut that deck has gone, that's the end of the game. So you 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 kind of know when the game's coming to an end, so you can kind of be a little bit crazier with some of the you know the actions that you take and the risks that you're you're willing to make. Um, so it's all of that is just built in to give you a good, fun, cinematic experience. Yeah, and they tie in with very that that super Hollywood feel, and I I love that about the countdown and the, the cliffhanger cards, whatever you want to call them. Um, I mean, just in their names, you and so that's how the game works. You don't play six turns like you do in a lot of other games. You have, as you say, depending on the size of the table, you deal out uh, an equal number of Act One, Act Two, and Act Three cards. And every time a person it's a person's turn, you turn one over, but or you could turn two over if you want the game to speed up um, which is a very nice mechanic because you're like oh god i need to hold this objective the opponent's coming for me uh how do i do and you turn two but in doing so you're giving your opponent an advantage in the resource management uh aspect which we'll get to in a minute but i love the names of these cards it's a wrap wardrobe malfunction backlot firing blanks doomsday device all of these things um really do change what's happening on the table they're just minute changes in some cases uh or pretty big changes but you can imagine you know all of a sudden a set piece moving across the table because it hasn't been secured properly you can imagine you know a pyrotechnics accident where one of the actors is taken out uh it it feels super hollywood uh and so i think it's the uh cliffhanger slash countdown cards that makes the game not just open sandbox world where everyone's fighting everyone, it turns it into a proper television show, um, which is, again, another thing I love about this game because it feels like you're in a TV show. And there are so many of these cards that you can that you shuffle through. It's not like you're going to see the same ones each time. There's a nice selection and you never are going to use them all. And so, or even close to them all. So the game has tons of replayability as far as that goes, where you can play again and again and not ever end up with the same cards, which really does um, add the variety to the gameplay because you're never sure what you're going to get, which is really cool. Yeah, we try to add that kind of that meta quality to it. That, that you know, it's if anyone sits back and looks at the game, it's got all the basic components of a skirmish in there. But we've just tried to use some terminology which gives it that cinematic kind of TV feel. So your um, your hero is a star. Um, your kind of your your captains or sergeants are uh, are co-stars, mm-hmm. and then everybody else is an extra. Um, the countdown deck has got lots of TV production terms 
uh, in it to give the idea that you're kind of playing through the show. So we used lots of those terms, even the plot point uh, resource management that you uh, you mentioned earlier. So there again, use another kind of cinematic uh, term like plot points. Um, rather than playing a game, you play an episode. That's right. Uh, uh, the books are the producer's guide and the director's guide. So we just try to weave that in um, to the uh, to the general feeling of, uh, of of the game, so that that just helps the kind of the narrative uh, play um, of, a, of a skirmish game. But if you don't like that, you'll recognise enough of just the basic kind of skirmish term uh, terminology in there for you to just play a kind of a, a straight battle. I do know a couple of people who are, are not as keen uh, on that aspect of of the game but still enjoy playing it just for the basic kind of skirmish rules. So um, it's it's horses for courses, really, depending on how you, the sort of game that you like to play. And we try to give those options to people. Exactly. Well, let's let's talk about plot points, because um, I think this is part of the meat and potatoes of the game. So um, at the beginning of each turn, uh, every star in your uh, in your cast gives you two plot points. Every co-star gives you one and every two minions that you have I'm sorry, extras gives you one. So you end up with fewer plot points than you have models on the board. And you activate models using plot points. But you also use plot points to boost roles, to give you special abilities that each card may have. For example, the um, the strongman card has a special ability that requires an extra plot point to use. So if you want your hero to be super heroic, that's great, but the rest of your cast may not be doing a lot. Um, so there's, it, it is very much a resource management uh, game as far as the actual tactics go of, ooh, am I going to activate this guy? Am I going to activate this guy? Ooh, do I try and boost his role to protect him? Or I really need this to go off. Do I boost his attack? And so there's a lot of in-game like, oh, God, oh, I only have three plot points left. What am I going to do? Do I save one for when my opponent's going for when they hit me and I need a boost on defense? Like, I really need to try and keep this guy alive so he can grab that objective, like grab the idol and run. How does this work? Uh, and so there's a lot of thought and tactics as far as that goes. But there's also characters that have leadership abilities. So you can have your evil mastermind snap his fingers. And when he activates, um, he might activate, you know, two or three minions around him. Uh, and that doesn't cost. And so, it, it, again, it's that narrative flow of the game and the resource management and how they intertwine together that really give you that rich gaming experience. Yeah, we tried try to have something within the game that means you, you just had choice, really. So that mm. even though it's a skirmish game, sometimes it, it arguably it still kind of rolls back to kind of move, shoot, or, or fight. But you've mm -hmm. got a little bit of a tactical option with what, what you do and also because it's a you go i go system we intentionally wanted to build in something that where there was a bit more interaction between players mm -hmm. within each of their turns and the resource management allows you to do that as you said you know the first thing that you do um when you want to strike your your opponent um in there is that your opponent uh, rolls a defense total and that's the type kind of target number that you're trying to reach but you can both choose to use those plot points to to add extra dice to those rolls to give you a, give you a higher total. Um, so you use plot points there. You can use them for some of the star qualities and special effects that you've said. 
um, gadgets, which is another little uh, kind of um, mm-hmm. spike by probe that we've already, some of those cost things. So you've got lots of tactical options just kind of straight out of the gate about what do you want to do? Do you want to activate all of your guys? Do you want to hold them back for defense? Do you want to use that special ability or, or that gadget that, or that gear that you've got? Just to kind of give you that little edge. And it just makes for a kind of a, just a, a, a richer amount of gameplay in kind of in each turn rather than just well I'll just move you forward and, and, and do this and we tried to build on that with each set um, really just to give you a little bit more choice um, yeah. as things go along but it, it, balance, it, it balances it out quite nicely and as you said you've got those other abilities that oh god how if I use that guy I don't need to use a plot point for this so I've got another one to do that um, and uh, you, you never have quite enough plot points. And of course, as your right. cast decreases in size, as the game goes on and you lose your forces, um, you generate less plot points. So you have to be even more careful about how you kind of, and how wisely you use them. So it seems to balance out really, really nicely. Um, and it kind of ebbs and flows with the, uh, with, with the game as well. And if you really desperately need to go before your opponent and you're like, oh, God, I really I really wish I could go for it again. Uh, you can always yeah. steal the scene. Uh, sp- speaking of uh, dramatic theatrical terms. And when you do that, you have far fewer plot points. Uh, and so you're kind of really hampered at what you can do. But you do get to go two turns in a row. Um, which right. is a really nice mechanic uh, and can allow you to, you know, try and pull off something. Uh, but then because you are so hampered by a lack of plot points, your opponent is just, you know, you, you got to be sure of what you're going to do. Again, it's those choices that you make and, uh, you know, it can lead to a lot of laughs. Yeah. Yes. That, uh, and, and great. Cause that's exactly the point we kind of want to get to really where you're kind of, you're enjoying it and you're, you're shaking your fist to the heavens, you know, infuriated by the thing that you, uh, that you couldn't do, but hopefully it's a fun kind of narrative experience rather than being a kind of a, just a, a frustrating number crunching kind of uh, a game. So exactly. Uh, I know that sometimes there are games where like you can steal the initiative and you know, it, the fact that you then get to do everything in your turn again, uh, you can double turn people and it can lead to a serious case of the feel bads. But uh, because seven TV is such a resource uh, management game that you're constantly trying to manage how many plot points you have versus how many you're spending to accomplish what you need to get done. Um, because if you steal the scene, you are so shortchanged with your resources, with your plot points, it really limits um, and prevents that, that, that sense of feeling bad. I mean, I know you're talking about shaking your hands at the heaven, but I think that's more in good fun than actual feel badsies, which is, uh, you know, a huge uh, plus for the game. We've, um, we're just play testing their next box set um, at the moment. Uh, mm. um, organized kind of play testing uh, questions and feedback in there. And one of those, which is a bit of an, you know, an odd one to know, is it fun? Does it feel like seven TV? Right. Um, in there. It's, 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 it, it's important that it, it, it continues to kind of feel like uh, it feel like that, really. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I was saving that for later, but you brought it up. So um, <laughs> I, I, I have recently acquired a Conan model, uh, a Subatai model, Thulsa Doom and his lieutenants, uh, and some generic thugs. Uh, I've also got uh, some some he-man models that are in the wings uh some masters of the universe and assorted other goodies up my sleeve 
if we're talking about using these in a 7TV game, clearly I'm talking about 7TV fantasy. Tell us a little bit about this because this is a, for a game that's so inclusive, this is a big departure. Yeah, the, the other games that we've got in there have been, I think, kind of quite niche, but I guess fantasy is, is a lot broader. And we found that with the, with, in the design work um, that we've done as well. Um, but it's such a staple. I mean, a, a lot a lot of people's introductions to gaming normally are bridged through kind of fantasy novels or, or, or fantasy shows that we, we found. Exactly. Um, so, uh, and we were just talking about this yesterday with, with Peter. This is another collaboration with Edge Hill University. So this is the second big project that we've, uh, that we've done. And we're just at the halfway point because it's a two-year project. Um, and uh, we were just talk- finding that actually with something like uh, Spyfall, you can say, oh, yeah, it, it's James Bond and, and it's this. And with Apocalypse, it's Mad Max. Mm-hmm. With fantasy, it's a little bit more difficult because it's so broad. Yeah. Um, with, the, with, with, you know, people come at it from, from many kind of different angles. Um, but it was, it's just, it's such a first love um, of, of kind of all of us that, uh, I'd already worked on uh, and written for first edition something called Seventh Voyage, That's which right. was an ode by Harryhausen, really. Um, and it was it was a strange one. It didn't sell as well, but it, we got the most feedback from people playing. It was, it was a, 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 we never, could never quite figure out how that was working, um, but a lot of people loved that. And I also wrote the Other World um, Fantasy Skirmish um, mm-hmm. for, for Other World Miniatures. Um, and that kind of hit on all of the D and D tropes, um, doing a similar kind of thing. So we've we've really updated um, all of that and expanded it quite considerably for for fantasy. So at the moment there are the most profiles we've ever got in a box, which is at the moment two hundred and twenty nine, I think. Um, in there. Um, so uh, and each one of those is an individual one rather than kind of a doubling up. Um, we've got a new magic system uh for that as well and some very lovely little um kind of accessory uh spell books uh things we've expanded out on the perils and turned those into encounters um in there so you, you can plug in the deathly marshes or you know dungeon dangers or on the road or tavern crawl or uh, we've got an excellent one called temple of essential evil um which is uh, you can kind of you can plug in those kind of tropes um but it is a little broader it's it's touching on it's still the concept of it's a tv show all of that meta stuff is still there but arguably it's touching a little bit on some sort of uh, gaming tropes and some fantasy novel kind of tropes as well um in fact we've renamed uh the countdown deck is now a trilogy deck Love it. Um, in there it's still, it's still got the acts in it but we've kind of we've just riffing on that uh a little um but again there's six new genres for that so we've got epic fantasy folklore historical mythic uh pen and paper uh which is our you know uh, classic kind of blue map kind of uh, stuff in there and then sword and sorcery which probably touches more on your, your kind of conan pulpy end of uh, end of things so again you can play any type of fantasy you like or mix and mash up those together if, if you like with uh, with this one um 
Yeah, I did forget that, that there are, I did, it's in my notes, I looked right past it when we were talking about character decks earlier, like pulling out the cards to represent the models on the tabletop. There are themes to the genres, uh, to the cast that you are creating. And of course, you can break theme, you can have, you know, a villain in a hero cast if they happen to team up, team up against something when it's someone else, or, you know, if you have uh, a scientific a sci-fi monster in the middle of an apocalypse. An Apocalypse cast, you can pull characters in. It just costs an extra um, point in your uh, in in your uh, cast creation. Um, but I do love the themes and the genres because it it does give you a way of sort of as, as the name implies, theming your cast in a way that makes sort of logical sense. And of course, if you need to break that, depending on what your personal narrative is you can still do that as well. Um, and it, it's great to hear that you have those, of course, for the fantasy version of this. Now, the pulp box, uh, as I said, is my favorite one of the seven TV boxes, and it is chocker-block full of cards. Um, something else that just came out recently, um, and you've released it, and this is awesome in the time of COVID when shipping times, and you know, it, especially to places like Australia, are bonkers. Um, you've not only... Sold, you now sell all three versions of the game via PDF, which you didn't do previously, and that includes all the cards to the back of the PDFs. Um, you also sell a new expansion to Pulp, which is Menagerie of Terror. Um, and as you were describing some of the parts of fantasy, I couldn't help but think, uh, as I was flipping through the Menagerie the other night, Man, some of those sound familiar. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what that is and how it adds to the pulp set? Yeah, Menagerie of Terror, I I could really boil it down to um, we love dinosaurs. It's probably the simplest, nice. <laughs> the, simplest, uh, the simplest way of doing it. There, were a quite, there was a kind of a section of stuff that didn't quite fit in um, or we didn't have time really in the resource available to, uh, to fit into kind of the main set. Um, so Menagerie of Terror adds in dinosaurs, robots, some kind of cosmic horror, um, uh, Lovecraftian kind of monsters mm -hmm. uh, in there as well to expand out those genres a little bit. And it also gives you uh, a load more peril cards in there, which are even more themed as we started to develop the ideas for those. Um, you know, you can... Uh, we added in some uh, sort of AI wandering monster uh, yes. mechanics in there so that you can get that great scene where um the tyrannosaurus uh stumbles in and rampages across the board and then disappears off the uh, off of the other side so all of that sort of stuff has been built in as well and again we've built on that a little bit more for uh, for fantasy as well where kind of wandering monsters is a is another trope that we wanted to kind of uh, play with I mean, the so, very uh, first one of those cards is Arena Beast, and the very yeah. first, and the very first thing I was thinking of was the the end of Attack of the Clones, where you have the the Separatists on one side, and you have uh, the clones on the other, and in the middle you have three giant scary monsters chomping everything in sight, and literally, yeah. boom, there it is. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a classic Flash Gordon. Um, it is. Cliff yeah. Uh, trope that's you know that's exactly where uh, mr lucas stole that that from mm -hmm. um so there's there's many a great man in a furry suit uh, a horned <laughs> monkey if you remember rightly yeah in uh, <laughs> in a flash gordon episode uh, in there so there's we just want to again 
it's always that knowing nod to those kind of those those tropes and those things that you kind of you joke about with your with your friends. You, do you remember that really hokey monster that turned up that time mm-hmm. in the in that show? Uh, and we just want to re- kind of reflect that. It's a it's a love for that stuff uh, rather than you know uh, if we're poking fun, it's in it's in a, a loving way. Yeah. Uh, I hope. But it also adds a lot of really cool little add-ons to the game, like bat swarms, uh, monkeys, apes, and not to be confused with talking apes with rifles, that might be in another box. Um, so available in Apocalypse, I believe. Yes, it is, yeah. Love it. Uh, Velociraptors, uh, Wendigos, Wolves. I mean, wolves, I should say. Sorry, I don't know wolf. Uh, but like mysterious wing terrors, as you say, all the Lovecraftian beasties. It's just, there's just so many things that you can put on the tabletop. And this is just a world builder. It just allows you, you know, crocodiles, uh, giant snakes, giant spiders, scorpions, like it, all the things that you would want to put on the tabletop in a Flash Gordon cereal, for example. Uh, yeah. They're here. I, I love a big monster, really, at the end of the day. I, I get, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. So um, it, it was a real opportunity to kind of expand out with some of those. So there's, you know, there's giant robots and and, and giant apes if you want to uh, them to you know, live on a skull island or uh, climb a skyscraper. All of that is uh, is there for you to to play with as well. Nice. Well, Carl, we've talked about Seven TV for 45 minutes now, and I think it is a crying shame that we are only talking about maybe half of your business, if that, because. 7TV is the game that goes along with the models that Crooked Dice sells. Now, I have quite a few Crooked Dice models uh, that I'm always being asked where they come from because, like the game, the characters and the models uh, very much feel like things that we would be familiar with from other places. Um, For example, my Visiting Aliens uh that are one of my favorite casts to play feel very much like uh you know characters out of an 80s television show that i loved and you know i recently got some great beast man characters from you that are straight out of saturday morning cartoons you make some really great models um that are very fine detail just just wonderfully fit in with most 28 millimeter uh sorry uh, you know ranges um, where do you get the inspiration for the enormous range of models that you guys sell? I mean, unlike other game companies that will have, you know, here's our faction for the Germans, or here's our faction for, you know, space elves. Crooked Dice is all over the joint um, because the game is, and you guys are always come out with fantastic models that fit so many settings and genres the sky's the limit right i i think it's probably the kindest way to describe it is it's probably an eclectic mix um <laughs> yes in there um but yeah it's 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 slightly um random <laughs> uh selection it's kind of just the stuff we like that you can't get from anywhere else really that's that's the guide the guiding yeah. kind of principle um in there um i when we started off we tried to do a kind of a hero and then we did a kind of a troop pack in there that's slightly gone out of the window but then we've been running 10 years now and there's nearly there's nearly probably a thousand pieces in the in the range yes um, now so it's a little bit different and we've got the resin kind of vehicles and ter- uh, terrain as well mm-hmm. so 
it's even probably more random and eclectic now where I go, oh, yes, we'll be doing this. Oh, but that's quite a good idea. That would be a, that would be fun to do. Yeah. Um, and every now and again, someone on one of our fan pages will go, oh, I really want to play this type of game. And I'll go, that's a brilliant idea. Uh, I'll commission that immediately. So yeah. that, that kind of stuff <laughs> occasionally does happen um, as, as well. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a there's a huge range of stuff and they're all inspired by... Um, you know, various TV um, kind of tropes or, or mm-hmm. characters um, in there. And there, there is a weird mix. The Visiting Aliens are particularly good, and I want to do some more of those. Oh, I'd like to do some, um, some Resistance fighters yes. and another group pack for that. And I've actually got a good little Jeep where um, that, it's, that may take a little bit longer to get out, uh, mm-hmm. to put a kind of a heavy weapon on the back of that as well. Um, just so, again, you can kind of you can play those, those shows that you loved uh, from, from back in the day. Oh, really, yeah. yeah. There's there's a weird mix of stuff, um, and I've been lucky to work with some really really talented uh, sculptors um, over the years. Yeah, um, I so mean, very- you guys, but it goes beyond just having the fantastic uh, the like to have the models to play out the shows that you want. Uh, as you mentioned briefly, you also have um, little tiny and you have larger terrain pieces as well, but. Uh, MacGuffins, uh, different uh, objectives, like you have an altar with an idol on it that you're got that you know the archaeologist can sneak in and grab and then run before the traps get him. Um, there's if you want a globe uh, on a on a, a giant globe on a rotating platform out of a you know a, a spy fi movie that your villain is going to have in his base, or you want the chair that the villain sits on to look at that globe, you sell that. That's amazing, and it's it's straight out of uh, something designed by uh, it, it was it's Kevin McClory who did a lot of that stuff, right? Um, it's just uh, um, oh dear, Ken Adams. Ken uh, Adams, was, sorry, not Mc, who's McClory? Yeah, Why am I getting that Bond, twisted around? Yeah, uh, yeah, Bond designer, and he did uh, Doctor Strange Love. Uh, you yes. know the great War mm-hmm. the War Room, um, and uh, it's James Bond is all about angles. Mm-hmm. It, it's nothing, nothing's ever kind of quite on the uh, quite straight. It's always, um, but you know, bizarre shaped corridors and, and that kind of thing. So we've got a small range of that. I'm just actually planning quite a big expansion for the spy fi stuff because as the other boxes have come out, mm-hmm. sometimes more sci fi uh, spy fi gets slightly, you know, lost. Um, so we've got a big terrain expansion coming for that now. Um, which is being designed by Richard Kemp, who did the original Kiss Kiss Bang Bang stuff for Copplestone. Yes. Um, so I've got a you know a a double height world map screen and a load more computer banks, um, and he's just done a kind of a weird generator room that you might find uh, on the island from the Man with the Golden Gun. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, it's all of that kind of stuff um, in there. So again, there's sort of knowing nods and stuff um, and inspiration in in all of that as well. Um, my Cobra so Commander we, is about to get uh, his his headquarters about to get an upgrade. That's all I know. It's just yeah, it's the secret base uh, kind of stuff that we've got. It's just a good rich setting where you can have you know crawling through ventilation shafts and being chopped up by giant fans and mm-hmm. shark tanks. Uh, we've got a shark tank coming. Oh um, yes. So um, they again, I, I always like the stuff that kind of writes itself. Um, Really, and you kind of both the players sort of know that shorthand mm-hmm. um, of, of of what the kind of train piece does, and it's a joy writing rules for all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, oh, that's so cool! Oh so yeah, there's plenty of train there, and there's a 
I was lucky enough to buy the, um, there was a, a company from Germany uh, called Pardulon uh, and Jens stopped trading. Uh, and I bought a load of kind of post-apocalyptic stuff off of him and vehicles, which kind of fed into apocalypse. Uh, and we've got various giant monsters and various bits and pieces now as well that I've added in because, as I say, I do like a big monster. Oh, so yeah. Got a giant, a giant robot and, mm -hmm. and various things. So, yeah, try to give a spread of things that you could kind of include in your cast as well so that you've, you know, you've got that and something to add for your table because, honestly, my first love in gaming is probably terrain. Um, I've, uh, my, I have a garage full of, um, uh, of, of boxes to attest to that. Um so I, I do like a, a good table. Uh, if you've ever come to any of the kind of trade shows in the UK, I try to put on a, a fairly good kind of uh, a table. So if you've we had a good sci-fi base and, uh, and and various things over the years. Well, I would be uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention because I know several people who listen to this uh, are super pulp heavy and would love to know that you sell uh, old school computer consoles straight out of you know pulp adventures you have cell blocks you have cc uh tv cameras that go on walls air conditioner units i mean it's it's the you know the nuclear bomb with the lid off uh, an examination table with the straps loose a firing range i mean the list goes on and on and on and it's all stuff that you could just world build on your tabletop and just adds that depth and is cheap um compared to what you would normally see in other places it's amazing so guys if you have not checked out and i know some of you love your and i mean love your terrain uh the crooked dice website check it out um when you're checking out the models also check out the terrain i know that's often skipped do not skip it this time guys trust me on this uh yeah super good super good and the fact that you said you're about to expand it just got me a whoo very excited um i i might have enough um with the kind of two batches that richard has done for me to, to i may even do it as a kickstarter um because there's quite I, I think to get it into production roll it out might take a while uh, yeah. but uh, that might be a slightly better format for it to do it that way so i'm just i'm just pondering that at the moment now let's talk about that because um, some companies use Kickstarters maybe a little too liberally for their own good. They're established big companies, and they do that. They do Kickstarters to sort of launch new ranges. Um, you use Kickstarter regularly, but you are a very small organization. Um, talk to us about the importance of Kickstarter for you as a businessman and how it has helped you keep the business growing for the last 10 years. I was very, very tentative about it and came to it very, very late. I think um, in hindsight, that, that was probably okay because lots of other people kind of um, discovered the pitfalls and some of the issues with it kind of well before us. So by mm. the time I, I got around to it, my background is as a graphic designer and I've worked in production and publishing for, for years. Um, so that was really useful in being able to schedule things um, in a in a kind of a sensible way um, and make sure that I didn't overburden and overstretch what I knew we could achieve. Mm -hmm. um, I tested it. I really wanted to do one for Apocalypse because I wanted to have a range of, uh, of new miniatures to go with the set for that. Mm -hmm. um, so I did one a little bit before that. And that, what I've, what a couple of them have allowed me to do is to expand out some of the niche ranges that we've got, some of the kind of 
we've got lots of generic material there out of the, the, the set, but we've also got our own background on our own kind of shows and heroes and villains um, in that, that, that we've set up. So we did a folk horror one called Children of the Fields. That was the first Kickstarter that mm -hmm. I did. Um, and it's just allowed me to deliver that kind of range, that, which probably, honestly, if I put it into regular production, probably wouldn't sell quite as well because it's, it's more kind of... Um, a, arguably original kind of characters yeah um in there but to be able to de deliver those you know in a kind of a almost completed set um in there and we've just done that again with the oh god how many is it five on the fifth kickstarter that i've done with the argonauts mm -hmm. set which was again one of the backgrounds that we've had from first edition um and it had a few personality models and a few troop models but there were lots of kind of gaps in that in that cast in that collection um, so it's allowed me to fill in those banks and do those things that we probably would never really be able to do without the capital that Kickstarter produces for you. But I'm very much of the opinion, the way that I like to use it, is that Kickstarter is is there to be able to fund the production of, of those of those sets, really, exactly. that, and, and raise that capital that I wouldn't be able to do. Which I think was kind of the original intention of of, of what that of what the platform. Um, is for but as you say we're kind of small so we try to offer a few extra bits and pieces in there and some some freebies uh, along the way but i've also tried to learn from all those ones that have come those kickstarters that have come before where the campaigns have kind of slightly overstretched and 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 then take ages to deliver um yeah. for whatever reason and that's that's the um i my publishing background means uh, I, I you know i always deliver make sure that you've got that right and when you can do that and then work back from that date um, so I don't tend to run them until I've got um, the majority of stuff designed and mastered and kind of ready to go into production. Um, exactly. that, that's changed a little bit with the last one. And we did some of it on concept art, which I wasn't incredibly comfortable with, um, but it was just the kind of necessity to kind of, um, to kind of get that going. We had kind of all the artwork there um, and ready to go. And it would have meant, just extending it by a, by a kind of a, a longer period if not if we didn't get it out. But again, I'm literally packing that um, today. So that will go out uh, kind of as promised. The majority of that will go out in August. Uh, and I think we've got a little bit of creep into September just outside of the deadline. Um, but yeah, but that's largely... Be, that's let, me, largely be let me cut you off slightly there, only because yeah. COVID has shut down the world. Everything's behind... Yeah. I want to point out and draw an underline under that. You guys are almost, I mean, you're, you're, most of it will be shipped on time and the rest will be shipped within a week or two. Yeah. Most I mean, I, Kickstarters don't have that reliability without COVID. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm, I, I'm kind of lucky uh, in, in some ways. There are people, um, that are, are even slightly bigger than me. Where you've got staff, it's a different thing. It, it's, you know, Crooked is kind of me, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then some very talented freelancers uh, and, and creatives are kind of around it. But the day-to-day -day stuff for that, for fulfilling things, is, is largely down to me. And um, and my wife helps out with bits and pieces of that. And I get you know, get, get the kids packing stuff as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. The only real impact that COVID had on, uh, on me in regard to the Kickstarter... Um, is really just on the sculptors um, on there because they they had childcare responsibilities and you know their yeah. their, their, their work day was cut down to a couple of hours in the in the evening once they'd taught their kids and put their kids to bed and and then done all the other things that they needed to do because 
the kids were at home. Exactly. Um, so it impacted a little on that. I mean, that, but not not too badly. And again, I've got good relationships with the casters and the production people. So um, it's that years in production of just kind of working back and building in some extra um, kind of capacity within within the schedule as well. So we we've lost a little bit there, but I'm hoping we won't be more than a couple of weeks late for the majority of the stuff. The last things are being mastered now. So, yeah, but still, that is that is a hell of an accomplishment in the land of COVID. So, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we I think we're nearly there. Um, but yeah, as I say, it, it's falling back on that kind of production experience, really, which which helps me. Um, and I and so. I do love that when you are able, you get and and sometimes when there's a Kickstarter, you have to wait. If you miss the Kickstarter or you're unable to fund uh, when it runs. Um, sometimes you have to wait six months, a year. You have to wait a really long time uh, for production to catch up, for mass distribution to get the things that you might have missed. Again, because I think you are a smaller organization, um, whenever, for example, I missed the uh, the Apocalypse Kickstarter, but I really wanted those visiting aliens. Uh, and so when they became available, I was shocked at how quickly they became available after the Kickstarter shipped. Um, you, you fulfilled your obligations and then immediately they were available. And, you know, I had my order in the day they came out. You announced, hey, shipping the last of them out. I'm going to have these up next week. Keep your eye peeled. You put you put them up. I bought them. They arrived. I was amazingly happy with that. Um, and so, yeah, very, um, yeah, again, gushing about your business. Love your work. Keep it up. Yeah. Well, it is, uh, I try to, I try to use the Kickstarter to pay for the most expensive part of the process, which is the, the, the large production, mm -hmm. uh, and try to absorb some of the, the creative and the mastering costs before I launch the Kickstarter so that I know that everything's viable and, you know, I've got those masters in and I know that the quality is good. Um, so that everything's ready. And then, use the Kickstarter for that last part of it, which means if some things don't fund, I've taken a risk kind of upfront of getting those things ready, but then I can make them available um, to, you know, to uh, straight into kind of retail um, afterwards. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of risk in there, but I'm, I'm it, it's manageable. So. Nice. Well, Carl, I, I think I would be, I know there are going to be some seven TV fans listening to this probably from the page, uh, the Facebook page, um, cause there is a great Facebook page for this group. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's coming. We've talked about fantasy. Um, are, are we, am I allowed to ask what's in the pipe? Um, is, yeah, of course. I, I heard a rumbling at one point that there was a seven TV eighties. Did that become apocalypse? No, no, that's a quite a, a separate thing. And yes, we are working on that right now. I've, I've, um, uh, I'm working on that with Helena Nash, who did um, a lot of the um, kind of development work with me, the world building stuff in our own kind of studios and settings in first edition. And I've uh, Helena is, is uh, one of my oldest friends and we've written together for 25 years, I think, probably. Mm -hmm. um, so she's working um, on that at the moment uh, and we've got all the genres uh, sorted out. We've got the list of profiles. So now it's just the work of working through those and producing those. So um, that's in development at the back. And I haven't set a, a delivery date uh, for that yet because our main focus is on, is on fantasy. Right. Uh, for the next, as I say, we're at the midway point of a two year uh, project with fantasy. Um, so 
uh, and we're well ahead actually. Um, all of these stuff uh, is nearly laid out. Uh, it'll be going out to playtesting soon. Um, so there's lots of work going on with that. There's lots of sculpts going on for that in the background as well to fill in, to plug in some gaps. Um, I don't think there'll be quite 228, but we've got um, we've got quite a lot of those covered. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to work on some other stuff in the in the background as well to make sure that Fantasy has got a good line of products to support it after it comes out because for various scheduling reasons, um, Apocalypse uh, and, and Pulp haven't had quite as much support as as, as I would probably like. Um, and it, that's entirely my fault because it's, it's just me and just trying to kind of keep everything going. Um, but we've got some new products that are coming out for that that we're going to test. I'm, this week, uh, I've been working on something called Lurkers from the Deep, um, which is going to be a, it's, uh, it's going to be a new, the first of a new format of the working title for which is kind of feature packs where you can literally play through your favourite movie where we're kind of mashing up various bits and pieces. So this will be um, war movies meet cosmic horror um, in, a, in a raid on a, uh, on a 1930s New England coastal town um, with, a, with so, uh, army versus fishmen is probably the easiest way to, to do that. And that'll be a series of five links adventures uh, with a kind of a stronger narrative in there where we're kind of scripting um, each one with particular cards straight out of the pulp set. Uh, and also new profiles and some new uh, uh, probably MacGuffins and various bits and pieces in there. So that will be kind of a new set of, of things. And we'll be doing those for Pulp. We've got a couple of those in the works um, and we'll be continuing that on with fantasy as well. So Brilliant. the first one of them will probably be, I can exclusively, exclusively reveal to you, uh, will be a kind of a, a Sinbad uh, island adventure. Um, and we're trying to make it so that they're kind of a, um, a asymmetric so that you can play either with a hero cast uh, or villain cast. Um, and ideally, we'll try to see if we can kind of coordinate miniatures so that we're doing kind of starter sets for those as well um, in there. So that's just trying to support um, a, a lot. A lot of the 70V kind of hardcore fans are the ones that come along and like to build their own narrative, mm -hmm. and build their own stuff and build their own things. But I also know there's another huge audience out there that much prefer to have kind of script, scripted presented stuff um, to them. So we're trying to cater for, for that audience as well, a little bit with some of the products that we're developing. Nice. So. And I guess that, that brings me to uh, possibly my last point, which was uh, you are very involved with the community. Um, the seven TV Facebook group. Uh, if, if, I don't be it is interesting though if you put 7tv into facebook uh you sometimes get strange television channels in other parts of the world yeah, a Russian television channel called yeah. 7tv normally is yeah what, exactly is pops up on. <laughs> um, but if you go to 7tv productions uh yeah. and you look for this the red uh 7tv2 logo in the bottom left hand corner of the the image um you will find the page for this and uh there's a super active community people constantly posting uh pictures of their models of their games their ideas um or just sharing you know out there movies books comic books that they've been using as inspiration uh it is a uh it is an inspirational i don't want to uh, dream for me i love it um i'm constantly looking at that page for ideas on uh different games i i can run uh it's great 
and yes, exactly. And you are active on that page. So it's just one of those things that it's, it's a really active community that you are a part of. And uh, it's great to see you interacting so closely with the people who love the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice community. And I've got to say thank you to Simon and to, uh, to, to Fenton who kind of do the, mm-hmm. the admin on that. It's a, it's a fan page um, on there and there are fantastic ideas and there are completely crazy ideas on, on there. And um, I'd, I'd wish I could do a bit, I had more time to do kind of some of the community stuff um, in there, but they do a great job kind of keeping people interested. Um, and that's grown really quickly over the last kind of couple of years. It has. Uh, but yeah, a good, nice, friendly place as well, I think, which is, uh, well, you, you can't always say that with some social media. Oh, God, yes. And I would like to do a shout out. As you mentioned, uh, Simon has been a guest on this show. He is an awesome guy. Love him. And uh, Fenton and I have been talking online for years. Both are rad dudes, and they run a great show. So, uh, sorry, great page. So, yes, about shows. So, yes, please check it out. Highly recommend. So, Carl, let's let's talk about the future. Now, we did talk about Kickstarters. Um, I I know there it's been a little while. I know you're shipping one out. I, is it too premature to ask? Um, I know you are doing regular releases as well. I just picked up your heroic Beastmen, as I said. Um, they came out. They shipped. Uh, I got them. They're awesome. Literally got them today. So excited. Um, but is there another big Kickstarter in the wings, or are you going to focus on the smaller weekly slash monthly releases? No, I mean, we've released um, something new pretty much every month um, since we got going. That's kind of the, the principle of, the, you know, mm-hmm. we'll keep annoying people, keep getting uh, putting stuff out. Um, but we've supplemented that in the last few years with Kickstarter campaigns as well. So, yeah, the Argonauts one is fulfilling at the moment and then i've got another two or three planned um in the in in the background uh the next one which we've got i've just got the last few things to be mastered on uh, are some brand new orcs um nice, nice. chunky fellas um in a kind of a, a nice kind of retro style um so there'll be a squad of those and they will be at the front uh, of, uh, of a Kickstarter campaign, which will also see the re-release of the Otherworld Goblins and Otherworld Wolf Riders. I was lucky enough to buy uh, some of those off of Richard Scott at Otherworld. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have got, uh, I think there's 16 Goblins, 10 Wolf Riders, uh, a good Ogre tribe uh, in there. I've added some Trolls uh, of various different persuasions uh, to that as well. So we're doing a good kind of old school retro um I, I would say green skins but i don't like my um my goblins uh, and orcs green i've always done them a weird dirty tan kind of color nice. so um yeah but but that's um that'll be that'll be the next one uh in there so that's just kind of prepping and bolstering out um some of the the forces and the, the, the fantasy range yeah. to coincide with the box set which will be out june next year Nice. Well, um, you you've just come out with twelve skeletons as well. Just being a couple of months ago. Oh, I, um, oh my, I love those. Um, James so Sherry, good. Yeah. Uh, who if 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 uh, if Ted Adams is the Goblin Master, then I would say that James Sheriff is the Skeleton Master. Uh, I just love what he's done. He's done. I've got at least twenty in there. So there's those first three packs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some axe guys and some mace guys. 
He's just sculpting some archers at the moment. Brilliant. And we're going to add more stuff because they're just great. Oh, they're so um, good. They're, I just oppose it. There's something about them. I, I, I quite like a kind of a chunky figure. And that's quite difficult to imagine with a skeleton. But mm -hmm. there's just something that captures in, in those kind of poses, which are really, really nice. So there'll be more of those. Uh, there'll be more adventurers. There's loads of other bits and pieces. There'll be some personality kind of ones in there. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll be part of the probably part of the regular releases. Um, we might do some a personality set from Ernst uh, to go with the Kickstarter for the for when the fantasy box set launches, which will be this time next year, really, uh, or June next year. Uh, but between that, there's another couple of ones. I mentioned that I might do something for the Spyfire terrain because there's quite a lot of it. So it kind of fits the Kickstarter format quite well. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got some other sculpts being worked on for Colony 87, which is our retro sci-fi. That's right. Uh, kind of stuff, which we launched um, last year. So there's some more uh, figures coming ready for that as well. Uh, and I've got another couple of ideas for other things kind of knocking around as well for, for ranges. I'm sure there'll be other things. I was going to say with, with the way that you guys put out, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other things in there that we just have, <laughs> that you may not even be a glint in your eye at this point. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's plenty coming. Um, and that will still add on to kind of regular monthly releases, as I've said, uh, and hopefully a little bit more kind of regular rule stuff as well is what we're trying to aim for just trying to fit the resources in to kind of get that up and running um so that, that's the aim certainly for for next year but we might start trailing that later this year um with that lurks from the deep set that i mentioned yes uh, so and we're gonna maybe we're just experimenting with and thinking through some ideas for something at the moment uh of a kind of a regular monthly rules release next year um for a pulp um serial uh because it just it's in 12 parts as all the best cliffhanger serials mm -hmm. are so it might lend itself quite nicely to be a kind of a, a like a, a an episode a month i just quite like the, the idea it's quite a cute idea that it's we just kind of spread it out over the year um as a kind of maybe as a kind of a, a subscription thing or something so we're just kind Love of it. working on some around that as well just to try and get some regular game content out as well um obviously the lead time on developing and checking and getting all that is so much longer than the um than the miniatures yeah uh, so it just takes a bit more of a while to organize uh, but we're getting there yeah exactly well guys uh if you haven't noticed already this is episode 99 now that means that episode 100 is in the pipe uh we have some some good stuff planned um there may be a warlord cast and a beyond the first marker cast on this network before you see cast dice 100 but this episode 99 is part of the wind up, so to speak, uh, for the 100th episode. I've had a lot of people ask me recently. It's it's actually been a fairly common message to the page. Has been Brad. Okay, you you keep talking about all these games, uh, and you know it's hurt my wallet. Trust me, guys. No one's wallets hurt more than mine <laughs> by this show. However, um, the 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 thing that is been asked more often than not recently uh, by you, the listener, is, but what do you actually play? Because you can't play all of these games. And it's true. Some of these games I wish I played or um, I just will, I will play in the future. Um, this is a game that I play. 7TV is a game that I adore. 
I love playing. Uh, I played it many times, both solo and with Dave Monroe and with others. Um, I had to throw Dave's name in there. Hi, Dave. It is a great game. It is definitely worth checking out, especially since you can download the basic rules as a free PDF from the Crooked Dice website that Carl mentioned earlier. Absolutely worth checking out. If you like what you see and you want to start getting some of those character cards you can, or you know any of the other, like the cliffhanger cards, the gear cards, you want to see how it all works, you can get PDFs sent right to you and you can print them out, or you can get some of the box sets. All of it's available on the Crooked Dice website. It's definitely worth checking out, at least for the models and the terrain. Highly recommend checking out the rules as well while you're there. Carl, thank you so much for coming on, man. It has been a long time in the making. We've been talking about having you on for over a year. I'm just glad that we finally landed you, brother. No, no, thank you for having me on. Sorry it's taken so long to get here, but it's uh, it's been a, a real pleasure to uh, to talk to you. And thanks for being so enthusiastic about the game as well. Oh, man. Really, really. As, as many small business owners are, you are constantly busy and on the go, and uh, scheduling between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere can be not fun at times. So thank you for being patient and coming on. It's appreciated. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, guys, I Carl has a treat for you as well. Before we go today, uh, as a little nugget for you guys listening at home, um, if you are still listening... Carl has donated a one of the pulp boxes, the whole pulp game for 7TV, which has um, all of the books, the cards, the dice, the templates, everything you need to play because it is a miniature agnostic game, um, which is amazing. It's my favorite one of the boxes. You've heard me say it on this episode several times. And um, Carl, you're going to be giving it away to a uh, Cast Dice listener when we put out our 100th episode. Yeah, absolutely. More than happy to do that. Um, oh, thank so, you. Uh, lucky winner, get one box in the in the post. I'll send that out to them. Brilliant. Uh, well, headline adventures. We will announce it with the hundredth episode, and we will contact you, and I will get your details and send it to Carl, and he will send it out. So, again, Carl, thank you. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Thank you so much. My uh, pleasure. Well, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, Again, uh, podcasts don't cost money. Uh, At least most don't. Uh, This one doesn't. Um, But time is money for a lot of folks. And we at Cast Ice, me, uh, really do appreciate that you've taken the time to listen today. And that you've, uh, so many of you have reached out recently uh, to to contact the the page. Now, I, I should mention that if you do want If you like what you've heard today or you have questions or you would like to comment about games that you'd like to see in the future, um, you can reach me via Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type that into Facebook, you will find the Cast Dice podcast page. Um, You'll see a lot of memes. You'll see a lot of pictures of the the models that I paint, uh, that I talk about on the show, and you will see the episodes for the show. Uh, If you message that page, my name is Brad. Hi, I am the only one that answers that. Uh, If you message, you're guaranteed a response. So, guys, tune in for the 100th episode to see who will be the big pulp winner. I will explain in a post how the winner will be determined. Uh, But if you are a loyal uh, Cast Dice listener, slash you like the page, hint, hint, um, that is you like the Cast Dice Facebook page, uh, you will be in with the chance. So, Ladies and gentlemen, as our good buddy Casey always says, 
When you are playing the games that we all know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you had fun. Ladies and gentlemen, stay safe out there. Good night. I'm gone.